You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that app. Well, today is Patreon Saturday. It's a day in which we just say thank you to those that directly support the Packernet Podcast. So I've got a uh, um, Discord for the patrons. It's a place where they can kind of come hang out, ask questions, do whatever it is they feel like doing. And so I try to reserve today for um, Discord questions and whatnot. Uh, the one exception would have been last week where we got new Patreon subscribers. So there weren't really any questions, but I figured since people bought in, I would just, you know, give an episode. I kind of just make this up as I go. You know, you just, it's just, it is what it is. Got a little bit of a late start today. I've been um, researching and not really, I think the research is over. I know what I want, but I've been salivating over um, the pellet grill that I'm planning on buying. I'm hoping to get it around Father's Day. But Father's Day is right about the time when we're moving into this house and we have a lot of expenses and whatnot, and so that's probably not going to work. But we'll see how it goes. But pretty jacked about it. And um, I tried to do a little bit more research today to see if maybe there's another one that could compete, but I, I just I don't even think it's close, man. I think you got to get the Camp Chef with the sear box. I mean, that's, it's just, it's perfect. It's absolutely, per- I'm, I'm just, that's, that's, that's what I'm doing. I should do, that as a, uh, should do that as a giveaway. Come hang out at the new house. We'll grill out, talk Packers. You know how awesome that would be? I know it's impossible because some of you guys live across the country, other countries, whatever. But we just go sit out back, have the grill set up between the two chairs, talk football, record it, and there you go. Episode, content, grilling, camaraderie, a third friend for me, which, I mean, you know. <laughs> I think it'd be cool. I don't know. Anyways, um... I don't know. I got, let, we'll just we'll just launch into it. I guess I don't know. I don't know how you transition from uh, I want a grill to football, but here we go. Oh, there is one other thing, and I completely forgot. I just remembered. Had that panic attack, like I missed it. Thought it was tomorrow. Turns out it's tonight. Um, there is going to be a mock draft. It is a live mock draft with other people, and this one's actually going to be kind of cool. I'm going to be representing the Packers. the The person who created the website, Walk the Mock. Um, him and I have been working together when he reached out to me, I got real excited and, um, started reaching out to some other people like Broshmo and got him involved. His channel's completely b- blowing up. I thought like him and I were going to be the draft guys. And then I took time off and he just exploded. So now he's in a whole other realm, but he actually has got a bunch of really big personalities and whatnot on here. Um, so there's going to be a ton of really big channels, all basically streaming the exact same mock. But the cool thing is I'm going to be again, representing the Packers. I believe he said three round mock. Yeah. Three rounds, fast pace, which the pace doesn't really matter because it's, there's no computers in it. So anyways, it would be cool if, uh, if you guys want to hang out with me, I'll, I'll try to get it streaming on YouTube and Facebook. Um, we'll see if we can get the chat going. You guys can re- give me some recommendations because I'm going to have to make some decisions because trades are a part of this. So I can trade up, I can trade back, all that stuff. So it's it's cool because all this stuff gets put into motion. All the stuff that we're talking about, it depends on the board, it depends on this, it depends on that. And I'm going to have to really hone in on who I want and how bad um, because when the decision comes, you got to act. But I'm pretty excited about it. You got um, NFL Retweet, the NFL RT guy is on here. 
Um, Goat House, real big YouTuber, is going to be doing the Falcons. Uh, Retweet is doing uh, the Jaguars. You got Broche Mode doing the Dolphins. Some of these guys, it's just their first name, so I'm not entirely sure. Um, let me take a look here because I know they did a graphic. Also, there's a giveaway. I'm going to post that on my um, Twitter and whatnot. But yeah, Goat House, 72,000 subscribers. You got Panther Nation Podcast, 10,000 subscribers. They're doing the Panthers, obviously. You got Windy City Productions, real big Bears YouTube. You got One Bar from One Bar and Lupagus, who's uh, part of the same network I'm in, so I've done some work with him in the past. He's doing the Vikings. So it should be pretty cool. Rise and Draft, and that's going to be tonight at 9 Eastern, 8 Central. So be sure to check that out. Again, I'm going to try to stream that to my YouTube, Pack Daddy NFL, as well as, uh, I don't know, I probably should do the draft thing, but I'll just, I'll do it to one of the Packers ones. Because it's a pa- I'm doing the Packers, so it's fine. All right, first question coming from Danish Cheesehead. He says, can Adrian Amos play the star linebacker position? He has quite comparable stats with Tampa's Levante David, uh, though he's 20 pounds lighter. Is that enough to make him uh, run play liability? Let me get the full quote here. That could free up draft resources for another important, uh, for other important stuff. Let me just say this, 99% of the time, maybe a little more than that, when you say, can we move this person to a different position? I'm going to say no. Um, especially when you're talking about moving one of the best safeties in football to a new position. And I know safeties kind of are interchangeable. You'll see him playing deep. You'll see him playing in the box. You'll see him doing all these kinds of things. And I'm sure he does a fine job, but essentially we're talking about changing him to being a linebacker. There's going to be some overlap. He's a safety playing a little bit of linebacker. We're talking about him being a linebacker, playing a little bit of safety. My answer is a resounding no. I mean, it, it, it would be similar, I guess, to saying, should we just move Devontae to slot full-time? Which some people would probably say is, is not a terrible idea, which I guess is why it's a, a decent comp. Because he does such a fantastic job in the slot, but he is the best wide receiver in football. You leave him in the X position. You can move him to slot for some, you know, scheme variants and, and trying to scheme him open once in a while, depending on situation. But no, he's your X receiver, man. So... You know, I mean, am I okay getting three safeties and using them interchangeably so that you got one guy kind of in the box roving all the time and maybe Amos takes a decent chunk of that? Yeah, that's, you know, whatever. I, again, that kind of comes down to the defensive coordinator and what he envisions for that position. And either way, Amos is going to be seeing some time down there. But I want a top-tier safety to stay a top-tier safety and not mess around with that. Now, if you got a guy, I mean, the only case in which I, I changed my mind, the only time I've ever agreed with this sentiment was when people were saying we need to move Demarius Randall to safety. And I agreed with that for two reasons, and I believe it was right, because he went to, I believe, Cleveland and was a safety and played a lot better. But um, he's actually being moved back to corner, I think, by Seattle, because they're stupid. But the guy was a safety in college, and he's a terrible corner, so what's the, what difference does it make? It doesn't hurt anything. You might as well at least try it. Worst case scenario, he's just as bad at safety as he is at corner. But Amos, no. Marshmallow Meathead says, Ryan, does AR-12 care about winning rings as much as TB-12? I mean, this is going to get me in trouble. <laughs> You're just asking me. I mean, if you just flat out ask me, does Aaron Rodgers care about winning a Super Bowl? Yes. Deeply, passionately. He's very, very hungry. He really, really wants a Super Bowl. Does he care as much as, as TB12? I don't think so. Partially because Tom Brady is one of the most, what's the word? Um, just determined is kind of what I'm thinking of, but it, it's, it's obsessive. He's obsessive. And he's, he's just one of those guys where he gets one goal in his mind and that's all he cares about. And I just don't think Aaron Rodgers is built that way. I think he's unbelievably talented. I think winning a Super Bowl is one of his top priorities, but I don't think it's his only priority. He's very just, he's always getting into other stuff. And that's fine. I mean, I'm, I'm not mad at whatever. I don't care. Do whatever you want to do, whatever. But 
with that is going to come some critiques and you're just going to have to deal with it. I mean, he's, 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 and he's starting to open himself up. And, and again, I think he's really just starting to, he used to be very closed off and, and mysterious and now he's really putting himself out there. He's on Twitter, like promoting, I don't remember what it's called, Twitter something or another. I just read about it that day and then he said he's going to do it. It's uh, some kind of spaces or something. I don't exactly know what it is, but it's like, it's come hang out with me. I'm going to tell you stuff. He's always like streaming on Instagram and Twitter and stuff, saying stuff and retweeting things. Obviously he's doing Jeopardy and we know he's constantly on vacation and he's doing photo shoots and Disney with, you know, whatever his was a fiance. I don't remember. I think they're engaged, right? They didn't get married yet. He has other priorities. And, and, and I've said this before. The reason I'm not mad at him is because if I was Aaron Rodgers, I'd probably have retired by now. I wouldn't care about a Super Bowl even a little bit. I don't think I would. I'm serious. I have that much money, and I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, and I got this team calling me like, hey, you got to get back here and, and do push-ups. Like, dude, who, who do you think you're talking to? You're going to tell me to come back and do push-ups? I've got enough forget-you money to say forget-you to people with forget-you money. I've got wealth for my wealth. <laughs> my, my wealth has wealth. I can do whatever I want, dude. I'm part owner, part owner of the, the Milwaukee Bucks. I got other stuff going on. Endorsement deals, business deals, television deals, right? I'm, a, I'm the host of Jeopardy. I'm getting married. He's got so many aspirations. I mean, and it's kind of similar to me. I'm always wanting to do other stuff. I'm always wanting something new, something different. I feel like there's, there's a part of him that's that way. And he's also got this sort of laid back mentality. Now, did that matter on the field? No, he was the MVP last year. He's the best player in football. But again, I'm just answering the question directly. Does he have that same kind of psychotic determination where the only thing that matters is football, where I'm willing to put a wedge between myself and my family, myself and my freedom, myself and my money, right? He's taking pay cuts and all that stuff that we've talked about. The only thing that matters to me is winning football games. That's Tom Brady, and he might be the only one that I can think of that's that way. The only thing I care about is winning. While Aaron Rodgers is out doing whatever he's doing, Tom Brady is literally building the team in Tampa Bay and telling the coach, I want this guy, I want that guy. And the coach is like, all right, whatever you want, dude, it's fine. And he's single-handedly constructing Super Bowl winning championship teams. So it's less of a knock on Aaron Rodgers and more of, and I don't even know if it's necessarily a positive. I mean, from the standpoint of, you know, great football players, yeah, I mean, that, it's, it's, it's far and away just a, what Tom Brady does is, is crazy. Everything he does, his workout, his sleep, his diet. And I'm not saying he doesn't take vacations and spend time with his family, but it's just, it's a singular vision. It's one thing that matters. And he can't turn it off. I mean, he's already going to be regarded as the best quarterback of all time. That's been set in stone. Nobody's going to pass the amount of Super Bowls he's got. And the fact that he's won it with two different teams, he left the Patriots as they started falling apart, goes to another team, wins his, his first year there. I, I'm not even willing to argue it anymore because it's just, it's a stupid argument. Is he as physically gifted as Mahomes or Rodgers or anything else? Can he throw the ball as accurately as... No, he can't, but he's still... I mean, it's just... it's just. I, I don't know how to, do, how to even argue it anymore. When he went to Tampa and won a Super Bowl, it's like, all right, cool, you, you're the greatest, I quit, just whatever. It's the same reason why, I mean, he's one of the, the best on game-winning drives and whatnot. I mean, when you give that man an opportunity and the game's on the line and it's in his hands, maybe a little bit less so these days than it was maybe two, three, four years ago, but he's just... it's just... he's just psychotic. He goes into another zone. He will not be stopped. It's a little weird. It's a little creepy, but it's just the way that he's wired. And I don't think Rodgers is wired that way. He's a little bit, I don't want to say laid back because again, he's got a bunch of different ventures, but he's just, he's not psychotic about that one thing. He sees things and says, I want something bigger, you know, something more, something else to my legacy than just football. That's the way I see it.
Uh, Jay Coffer says, what is it about our scheme that devalues the middle linebacker position? Is there any chance at all we get Micah Parsons? If you tell me there is even a one in a million chance, I'm going to hold on to hope like Lloyd Christmas. Well, I was going to say yes until you said that. Now I might as well just tell you no, because I don't want you getting your hopes up and getting all depressed or whatever. But one in a million, I, I got to be honest. Yes, there is a one in a million chance. Micah Parsons has been sliding down the boards since forever. Zayvon Collins has been flying up the boards. It's not impossible. Zayvon goes earlier, probably won't. But you never know. And there's so many other talent positions and whatever. As far as the first part of your question, again, that's not so much a me question. I, I know the, the, the difference is we have a new defensive scheme. So you're kind of asking the question, what was it about last year or Mike Pettin's scheme that devalued linebackers? And to be honest, I don't exactly know. I, I could tell just by watching the team that the primary um, value or emphasis was put on the defensive line. And even Blake Bartina sort of echoed this, saying his job was essentially to be there and just play cleanup. Like, he wasn't really given a lot of thought or or anything. He was an afterthought. And again, Mike Pettin was, was talk about obsessive with defensive line, just constantly. He's always wanting more and better and bigger and, and more talented defensive linemen. Now, I do think there's a chance that this is about to to change. We talked about the star linebacker, and we've seen a lot of different teams who put a major emphasis on linebacker. It's not as though in 2020 that um, linebacker is not important. I don't think it was very important for Mike Pettin, but, I mean, again, you look at Tampa Bay, you know, he mentioned uh, Levante Davis. You look at the Bears and Roquan. You, you look at all these different teams and the emphasis they put on getting a really talented linebacker. And um, my understanding is that that is a bigger emphasis with this this uh, kind of a team. Now, and again, it's kind of weird because I don't exactly know what kind of a defense we're going to have, and, and everybody likes to pretend that they do. I don't know that they do, right? He's going to have a Fangio-type scheme. Well, no, 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 he, it's not Fangio. You know, he played for Fangio back in, you know, forever ago. I don't know. But his last job was with the Rams. So it's actually going to be more of a Brandon Staley-type of defense or, you know, I but then at the same time, Staley was like a Fangio guy, but then Staley was like, I'm not Fangio, I'm Staley. I run a Staley defense. Stop saying I'm just a copy of these guys. So it's the same thing with Joe Barry. Joe Barry has learned from a bunch of different guys and a bunch of different things, but at the end of the day, Joe Barry's Joe Barry. Joe Barry also has different obstacles and, and, and a different team to work with. And as much as there might be a foundational framework that he's operating from, similar to Matt LaFleur working from that sort of Kyle Shanahan style of team, you notice that it manifests itself differently when you look at the 49ers compared to the Rams compared to the Packers. They utilize it differently because of the different personnel as well as just the different preferences of the coaches. And, and again, if you look at the Rams, the Rams have notoriously terrible linebackers. They really do. I mean, they're just straight up horrible. So I, I can't tell you. You can go on Twitter and find people that will tell you definitively exactly what the scheme is about and how he's going to run it and all that stuff. I'm going to sit back and observe. I've got a couple different ideas based on what I saw from Fangio and, and, and the Rams, again, being entirely different than kind of what we saw from... I shouldn't say entirely different. I mean, it's kind of similar. But, you know, again, Fangio going out and getting Roquan and Roquan and Danny Trevathan were, were a pivotal part of that defense. And again, the Rams, I mean, it's got to be their biggest weakness was linebackers. So terrible. Although, to be fair, the Rams have not had a first-round pick since 2016. So, you know, <laughs> it is what it is, I guess. Who's to say if they wouldn't have taken a swing if they had the opportunity? I don't know. Um, but but uh, look, all in all, I would say just keep in mind that this is a new team, a new scheme, new defensive coordinator. Um, he is a linebacker's coach, and the general consensus is that linebacker is going to be a bigger part of what this defense is about. So there's going to be at least a little more of an emphasis. That doesn't mean it's top priority or that we need a first-round linebacker or anything like that, but... Um, 
I do tend to think it's going to be an, a bit of an emphasis. Now, there's other major needs. We got major needs at wide receiver based on depth for next year. We got major needs at corner based on talent and depth because of the contract situation. We've got major needs at offensive line. So even if linebacker is one of the top priorities, and I'm sure Gutekunst understands that, and you might have Joe Barry saying things like, look, I can't run the scheme without a good linebacker. That's just one of the many, many problems. Because you got LaFleur saying, I don't know if we can make this work with this offensive line. And, and you got Russ saying, I, we can't pay these guys next year. We're going to be out of cornerbacks and wide receivers next year. Goot has to kind of parse that out. So, and, and again, it comes down to just because you see it doesn't mean we, we got an answer to something. Right, like last year, because we didn't draft a wide receiver. Oh, see, they don't care about wide receiver. They tried to get wide receivers. It didn't pan out. We have other needs than just that one thing you want. I'm in a Facebook argument with somebody that wants Gutekunst and uh, Mark Murphy fired. And it's like, you guys are just ridiculous. You guys are absolutely absurd because you cannot let it. They, they will not let it go. They will not let Oh, he was horrible in the draft last year. He started off hot, but then cool. Started off hot. He's been here three years, and his worst draft was his first one. He just hit on Jair. He absolutely knocked the second one out of the park. He built this team from the ground up through free agency, and then last year possibly got us the quarterback of the future in round one, got us a stud running back in round two, found us a really talented t- a tight end in, in round three, found us Kamal Martin, who's one of the few decent linebackers in the draft, and he got him in the fifth round. What are you talking about, you dummy? Sorry, I had to get that off my chest because I just, I can't, I can't handle it. But again, it's just, it's just this psychotic, they drafted a quarterback instead of a wide receiver. They drafted a quarterback instead of a wide receiver. I can't let it go. I can't let it go. Fire them, fire them. I'm not going to stop saying fire them until we're the Jets. But, you know, so so again, yes, I think linebacker is going to be important. No, that doesn't mean they're going to be drafting a linebacker first because there's so many other needs on top of they have a board that they're planning on sticking to. And if linebacker isn't in the cards, if they've got, you know, at the top of their board, you got like two tackles, a pass rusher, a wide receiver, and no linebackers, sorry to tell you, we're not drafting a linebacker in the first round. Now... To your point, let's say Micah does fall. Some kind of crazy thing. Zaven ends up being much more important. Jeremiah Owosu-Koromoa, somebody else likes more. And for some reason, Micah Parsons is just sitting there at 29. And the Packers board has Micah in a tier of his own. I think they're taking Micah. In other words, they're not going to not take him because he's a linebacker. If that ever even was a thing, and I don't know that it was. Sean's got a couple different questions for me here, and I I don't have any of that in front of me. I did have a podcast that he said it's the one that made him become a patron and it, it laid out the value of of players based on when they were drafted by position or whatever. So if you want an edge rusher, you got to take them in these two rounds and not the, you know, so I have that somewhere. I got to dig it up and try to find it. Um, he also asked about my quarterback rankings and whatnot, which I said I was going to try to find, but I don't know. A lot of times when I try to find these things, it's like, I don't know if I just deleted it or I named it something stupid that I can't find it. I don't know what it is. But I will do my best to try to just dig through. I got so many different Excel sheets and everything else spread out all over the place from three, four different years of of doing the podcast and researching things or whatever. I've got GM rankings and all these different things. I'll try to find what I can and, and get back to you on some things that I find interesting. Um, maybe on Monday, remind me of that. Gooseman says, what positions are the strongest in the 2022 draft class? I can tell you right now, as of right now, easily, it's edge rusher. I mean, it's, it's, it's not even close. I think I did a, I don't know if I did a mock draft or I think I did a top 32 and, um, it was taking, I looked at the top 100 
from the aggregate big board. And then I looked at PFF and I said, because I wanted to pull out, because some of these guys, I'm like, I don't think they're going to be that high. Like they got Slovis as the number two quarterback. I'm looking at him like, yeah, I don't know about that. Some of the running backs and stuff. I'm like, I don't know. Some of the, I don't really like some of these guys. And so I, I pulled from the top 100 and I said, which of these top 100 do I think would be the top 32? And I want to say like a third of them were edge rushers. And I'm not even kidding. And and it's it's an important question because, um, you know, you look at last year at, at wide receiver and you realize that because wide receiver is so deep this year, it's almost not that they did it intentionally, but it's almost brilliant that they didn't get a wide receiver last year because a lot of these teams punched themselves out with wide receivers last year. And now this year it's a stacked wide receiver class again, maybe not as stacked as we were anticipating, but still a lot of wide receivers. They're going to have some opportunities because a lot of these teams just took wide receivers in the first round, second round, third round last year. Packers are probably the only one that didn't even touch a wide receiver. So in regard to needing an edge rusher desperately, um, next year, it's almost a guarantee there's going to be somebody. Now, if you go to the consensus big board here, I use NFL mock draft database. I used to keep my own, but he does it for me. I think I had more big boards and everything else, but it's just, it's not worth the hours and hours it took for me to do this. If he's going to do, you know, 90% of what I have done anyways. The the point is what you're going to see when you come in here, a lot of these guys are, are listed as defensive linemen. And I reached out to him and told him like, some of these are just wrong. Kayvon Thibodeau is listed as defensive line instead of edge. That's incorrect. He's an edge rusher. Jake Drake Jackson, number three uh, defensive line. He's actually an edge rusher. Zach Harrison, Ohio State defensive line, he's an edge rusher. So almost all these guys are actually edge rushers. They're they're all listed as defensive linemen. There's very few actually real talented defensive linemen. But I mean, just in the top 10, you've got three. Um, then you got one at 13, Aiden Hutchinson at 16, George Karloftis at 17. Um, some of these might actually be defensive linemen, but Perry and Winfrey, 25th. Um, and then there's a, there's a bunch of others that I actually pulled into the top 32 because they definitely deserve it. They're really, really good. Merlin Robinson is the first guy listed at edge. Um, he's another one that could easily be in there. Who's that other guy that was the top edge that's really talented that I think is going to be there still? He's been dropping on this board. Oh, my Jay Sanders out of Cincinnati, I really like. I mean, you never know, right? Things change. Some of these guys are going to end up busting out. Some of these guys aren't even going to declare, you know, whatever. Who knows what it's going to end up at? But at this point in time, I mean, it's like I said, you could you can make a case for one third of the first round draft being edge rushers. It's so stupid. And it, it's been a long time. I mean, the last two years, it's been so offensive heavy. Um, I want to go back to all here that, you know, that the defense has been lacking. You know, there just hasn't been much. If you need defensive help next year, you're going to get a lot more of that. There's also a decent amount of, of quarterbacks, I guess, but it depends you know, um, again, I don't buy that Slovis is going to stay that high, but we'll see how he does. Sam Howell is definitely going to be the number one. I don't, I don't think that's going to necessarily change. Spencer Rattler is the, uh, you know, you always got to have an Oklahoma quarterback, and he's that guy, and I do think he's talented. Desmond Ritter out of Cincinnati, Tyler Shaw of Oregon. Matt Corral is my guy. He's currently at 30. Malik Willis is at, or excuse me, at 35. Matt Corral is at 40. I'm, I'm putting Matt Corral in the first round because that's been my guy since last year. I'm obsessed with Matt Corral. He probably won't, but I don't care. I'm, I'm going to ride that. When he is a stud in like 2024, I'm going to be like, remember back in 2020 when I was freaking out about him? Because I was. When I first started watching tape a, a year ago, uh, Matt Corral was on a list and I didn't really vet the list very well, but he was the first quarterback I watched. Somebody had him at the top of their list and I was like, all right, let me check this guy out. And I'm like, dude, that guy is a freak. And then like the list updated and suddenly he dropped off 
and nobody talked about him, and then he didn't declare, and then he's like, dude, he was he's not even the number one quarterback. And I'm like, you know what? All you guys shut up. He's a freak, and I really like Matt Coral. Or Corral, I think is how you say it, which upsets me because I've been calling him Matt Coral since forever, but whatever. So, yeah, a good amount of quarterbacks. Um, not a huge fan of the running backs. There are some really talented guys, but I think the ones that are listed really highly, who's the number one? Um, one of these guys was listed real high that I don't think is going to be there, but um, I can't remember which one's which. Good amount of talent at wide receiver. I, I do think some of these guys might start to fall off a little bit, but you got George Pickens in Georgia, Garrett Wilson at Ohio State. Justin Ross has been a top guy for a long time. Chris Olave has obviously been a top guy. He was expected to be in this draft class, but wasn't. John Mechie at Alabama. So we'll see. The one guy that I'm really excited about is Kyle Hamilton, the safety out of Notre Dame. I mean, you got Derek Stingley, who right now is listed as the number one guy. Um, and we'll see how that pans out. He's, he's the guy that's been like the name since forever, right? Like Trevor Lawrence was the guy. You've been hearing his name since forever. Um, Nick Bosa in you know 2019 is a name that you knew about since forever. I think Derek Stingley is the guy that it's like you just you've always you've heard his name if you've been halfway awake since uh, forever, and he's he's probably going to go real early. But I, I really like Kyle Hamilton, the safety out of Notre Dame. But anyways, um, half the people listening aren't even interested in this draft, much less the 2022 draft. But I am I am working pretty hard on this. I've got um, uh, 270 some odd uh, prospects set up on flashcards. So I've been working my way through that just so I can remember, get to know some of these guys' names. Because usually the way that this works is I, I have a really good understanding of like first and second round prospects. And after that, it's like, who now? What are we talking about? And um, especially with PFF now being out, I have a, a real good opportunity to get to know these guys and um, kind of start forming some opinions and understandings of, of not just who they are, but you know, strengths and weaknesses and that kind of stuff. Um, I'm not sure how many questions are left, so I think we should take a break here, and then we'll come back and do some more uh, Patreon Discord questions. So if you'd like to be a part of this, if you want to get uh, get in on the action, if you want to come grill with me this summer, jump in at patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. Don't hold me to that, because that's probably not going to actually happen, but I'm going to say it, because there's a chance that you'll join as a result of that. Let me put it this way. If you live in Wisconsin, especially the southern part, there's a chance, or if you're willing to buy a plane ticket to come out to Wisconsin to uh, to grill, maybe we'll work something out. I don't know. I'll do it like the politicians do. We'll have like a $100 a plate <laughs> meeting session or whatever they call those stupid things. Anyways, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. 
Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Simon W1980 says, do you have any hope for Josh Jackson next year, given the more zone-based scheme, or is he done? I did have more hope for Josh Jackson because I thought it was a more zone-based scheme. <laughs> I think I talked about this on the podcast, um, but but maybe not. One of the things that I learned that I did not realize when PFF actually gave me details on zone versus man scheme for cornerbacks is the fact that the Packers under Mike Pettin were one of the most zone-heavy teams in football. I believe they were roughly 8th or ninth most zone-heavy. So even if they go from, let's say, ninth to 5th, what does that change? Now, I, again, I was under the impression that they were more man-heavy. Not to say they never played zone, but in comparison to other teams, I would have thought they were at least top 10 in man. And so if you talk about going from top 10 in man to top 10 in zone... I think that helps Josh Jackson. I looked at all their grades, and as I've said, every single one of our cornerbacks is better in zone than man, including Jair Alexander. That's true of a lot of corners, but not all corners. It's true for every single one of our corners. And so, yeah, if we move toward more of what the Rams do, and the Rams are number one in zone. That's all they do is play zone. As I think I mentioned, that's probably why some of their corners are as good as they are, because if they played any amount of man, they'd probably be pretty terrible, because they're not very good in man coverage. But they take very zone-talented players, and they put them in, like... 80% zone, but it just, it doesn't, I don't think it can move the needle all that much. Even if you go from ninth to say first or second, it might give him a slight edge. It might really kind of help him kind of grow. And and, and again, you take that and factor in just leaving him in one position. I I think there's a slight chance, but when I found out the, the Packers played mostly zone and very, very heavy zone, even compared to other teams, that really kind of put the nail in the coffin for me for Josh Jackson because that, in my opinion, was his his hope and salvation. It was the fact that he's in a man defense, he's a press man defense, and he's not cut out for that. He's a zone guy. Come to find out he played almost exclusively zone for the Packers and he still wasn't all that great. Now, again, I think Josh Jackson is, is underrated. He's graded out consistently better than Kevin King consistently. I mean, since forever. But every one of our corners grades out better than Kevin King, so... So, you know, I, it just, it depends. We'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens, you know, because it's not just man versus zone. There's other nuances to the type of of scheme that they're going to be playing. And again, that's more of getting into Coach Hawn territory and understanding the nuances within the type of zone and what's being asked of these guys and how that plays to Josh Jackson versus Kevin King versus Jair and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yes, there is hope, but it just seems as though they don't care for Josh Jackson very much. But again, remember, we got a new defensive coordinator coming in. He's going to be looking for and asking for new things. And uh, we'll see. Maybe he just he just likes the guy. I don't know. But I would say it's it's a low probability. The best thing he has going for him, and this is kind of what I thought about Jamal last year in comparison to sort of Aaron Jones and everybody else, is he's going to be cheaper. So when all these guys are going to be leaving next year because we can't afford anybody, Josh Jackson has at least that much of a chance to... When we draft new corners, let's say we draft one this year, we draft one next year. So we got Jair, two other guys, and maybe we want to keep Josh around for some depth because he's going to be dirt cheap. Or we move on, we keep Kadar Holman or whoever else. I don't know. But I would say that the my hope in that was diminished when I found out how much zone we actually played, which was turns out was actually a lot. Now, and, and again, I can't give you specifics 
because it doesn't tell me how much the team played zone because that doesn't even make sense because sometimes you got guys playing man over here and zone over there, but you can look at the individual players. So I'm kind of just eyeballing, you know, based on the players and how much they're playing zone because they're all kind of clumped together. Um, that's why I say roughly ninth because they're roughly grouped in this area that, you know, is about ninth, I guess. It's not a question, but Turt McGirt and Andy are having discussions about changing in Goot We Trust to trust our Goot. It sounds less like professional, but it is also kind of reverent to Ted because that was his thing. In Ted We Trust, so we switch it up and we, you know, we trust our Goot. It's more of like a cheesy t-shirt thing, but I can, I can get behind that. Goose has a similar question. He says, if, if Josh Jackson comes out and plays about a 65 overall PFF level, mid to low, number two, do the Packers even bother resigning him? I mean, the the biggest reason I would say no to that is because that's kind of close to where he's at. I mean, he graded out as a 52 last year, which was low for him, partly because he graded out so terribly against Atlanta. I mean, he had one real bad and a couple, you know, San Francisco was bad. But I mean, you know, 2018, it was a 59 overall. 2019 was a 60 overall. So he's kind of in that 60 range as it is. So if he bumps it up to a 65, I don't know that it changes it all that much. So I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take necessarily. I mean, it really is just a matter of him kind of just understanding and just kind of getting it. You know, we've got a lot of guys that don't play very well. That grade out about, about as well as Josh Jackson and they start. And I think a lot of it really just comes down to understanding what it is you're being asked to do. And I think it's better to do your job right and not well than well and not right, if that makes sense. You don't have to be top tier to start. You just have to do what I asked you to do. If you do the right thing and, and fail at it, Coaches tend to like that. They trust you. You know, Dean Lowry, and, uh, you know, he, he's kind of the prime example of that. He has a, a perfect understanding of what Mike Pettin wanted him to do, and I think he did his job very, very well. It's in terms of, you know, in my scheme, when I call this and the offense does this, your job is to do this, and he knows exactly what his job is. He just lost the one-on-one -on -one battles. And I think the, the bigger issue with Josh Jackson and guys like Josh Jackson is sometimes they just get lost out there. You know, I mean, you look at it from rep to rep and he looks really, really good, but then all of a sudden he goes on this stretch where he gets scared and he starts getting grabby and he starts just looking flustered and panicked. And, you know, Kevin King, if nothing else, he, he's, he's more of a Dean Lowry. I don't think he's necessarily lost. I just think he gets beat. I just think he makes some bad decisions and lacks aggression and lacks, you know, mental lapses in terms of jumping way too early, you know, just stuff like that. Just silly stuff like, dude, what are you doing? But I think he knows generally what his job is. You know, in other words, if you gave these guys a test, Kevin King would pass it, and I don't know that Josh and Josh Jackson might struggle a little bit. That's just my reading of the situation. And I, I've noticed generally that seems to be the case, because you see guys that flash, and they get pulled, especially really young guys. They come out, you know, A.J. Dillon is a perfect example. The guy, every time he stepped foot on the field, he graded out higher than just about any running back in the NFL. The one time he got full-time reps and started a whole game, he took over the entire game and annihilated the Titans by himself. He still didn't get much playing time because he's not ace in the test the way Jamal and, and Aaron Jones are. Because Lafleur doesn't trust that when I send you out there to do X, Y, and Z, you're going to know exactly what to do. Because he doesn't. He's new. He's young. Got a fantastic question here from BRM. He says, can you give us a recap of what we have with Devin Funches? How does he stack up versus what we already have? Can he run block at 6'4"? How's his route running? What's his drop percentage? Is he a burner? So I love the question because... I forget that he's even on the team. 
And when we picked him up, the, the point that I made was he's kind of, I mean, if we just look at like PFF grade and all that kind of stuff, he kind of comes in as like an automatic number two. Now, there's still a question of, you know, understanding what Matt LaFleur wants of him and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, he doesn't block as well as Lazard and he doesn't have all the nuances. He's not as fast as MVS, but just in terms of raw talent, I think he is a more genuine, legit wide receiver than the guys that we have on our team. And we all forget that he's even on our team. <laughs> at least I do. I mean, he's never really been an elite player, but at 6'4", 225, his PFF grades have been 74, 64, 72, 68, 69, which, I mean, he's just, he's kind of hovering at that 70 range, which is not a problem for me. You might look at that and go, oh, that's kind of trash. I want guys that are like 80s and 90s. I want Devontae. So do I. That'd be great. But let's remember, MVS's grades, 60, 57, 60. His best year ever was a 60.6. Devin Funches's worst year ever was a 64.4. So on his worst year ever, he's better than MVS. Alan Lazard, 62, 69, 72. So he's gotten to the point of being around where Devin Funches is, I mean, the last two years or so. But you also have to remember a lot of that has to do with, like, you know, blocking grades and um, that kind of stuff. And Devin Funches, I mean, his receiving grades are higher. He doesn't block all that well or do any of the other stuff well. He's just a receiver. Alan Lazard has never gotten a 70 receiving grade. I mean, it Technically, 2020 was 69.7, but I mean, we can round it up. So, you know, again, worst case scenario, he's about as good as Alan Lazard and is about the same size as Alan Lazard. The other thing to remember, I mean, if we go back to 2017, which was Devin Funchess's big year, um, he had 67 receptions, 919 yards, and eight touchdowns, right? That was his best year in terms of his grades. It was 2015, but something to keep in mind, Devin Funchess was a number one wide receiver. Um... So he was working with a team where, I mean, you could argue Christian McCaffrey was the number one wide receiver, although 2017, uh, Devin Punches did actually have more targets. But he's now coming to a team where he's the backup. You know what I mean? He's not going up against the number one corners anymore. That's all Devante. He's not getting the double teams anymore. That's Devante. He's not getting safety attention. That's Devante. So he gets to come over here, and for the first time, I think, maybe ever, I know he's worked with, like, Kelvin Benjamin, but, I mean, in 2017... Devin Funches had 117 targets. Calvin Benjamin had 51, not even half the amount of targets. So by 2017, um, Funches has kind of, had kind of solidified himself as the top dog in the in the receiving room for that team. So yeah, I mean, it, look, I don't know that he's he's got a real high ceiling. I don't think that he's going to be this... He doesn't give you the opportunity to be excited the way a really high draft pick would. But I think if the goal is we need to get a legit number two wide receiver, I just kind of think we've got it. We might even have two. I think Lazard and Funches qualify as top tier number twos, and I've gone over the numbers before. I don't know why we get obsessed with this idea that we need a number one as a number two. We need to have a Devante opposite Devante. Very few teams have better number twos. There are some, but there are few. And it's not like the guys we have are bad. They're just they're they're solid second wide receiver options to pair with having the best wide receiver in football, a dominant running back duo, and some real potential, at least, at tight end. So we're not in a bad way there. Um, in terms of some of the specifics you were asking about, let's just kind of go through some of his stuff here. Um, obviously, some of this may change as he comes to Green Bay because he's going to be maybe asked to do different things. But um, one of the more interesting things about the guy who's six foot five, six four, whatever, he's actually spent a decent amount of time in the slot. Um, it was as high as 25% in 2016, and then in 2017 and 18, 2016 was when Calvin Benjamin was the top guy, so he spent more time in the slot. But even once he became the number one for sure, he still spent 20% of the time in the slot. 
One of the issues with Devin Funches, though, and it's not going to be great because Packer fans are tired of this, but he does have a pretty serious drop problem. Um, 2018 was the last time he played any kind of full-time snaps. He had six drops. The year before that was three, which was his one decent year. Um, 2016, again, he had six drops. And then in 2015, he had eight drops. That's pretty terrible. Um, contested catch percentage is 46%, which isn't terrible, but when you're six foot four, you kind of expect it to be a little bit better than that. Again, it's not a 50, 50 ball. doesn't always 50% of the time go to one guy, 50% go to the other guy. A lot of the time it hits the dirt. So it might be like 40, 40, 20. So he might still be above average, but you still kind of, I personally would like to see above 50% of the time when I launch it up to you and you got a 50% opportunity to come down with that ball. Uh, passer rating when targeted, he's never cracked a hundred. As far as being a deep threat, I mean, percentage-wise, it's it's relatively high. I mean, 2017 was 22% of the time. 2018 went down to 13%, but the grades are not great. Remember, on deep passes, your grades are always going to be higher because we're talking about more yards, more higher likelihood of touchdowns and all that kind of stuff. So you, generally, that's your highest grade is your 20-plus your grade or whatever. His highest grade by far is his, his medium range. So again, 2017... His grades in the, the short range was a 90, medium was 97, deep was 83 overall. Five receptions on 26 targets for 157 yards and a touchdown. That's pretty not great. Uh, 2018, again, short, 77 overall grade, medium between 10 and 19 yards, 95.3. Again, that's just his real, that's where he does his damage, which is fine. We, we Everybody needs that. So he's not going to get us those 50-yard bombs, but he's consistently getting seven, eight-yard receptions. I'm or I'm sorry, 12, 13-yard receptions. I'm beyond fine with that. But again, it goes down when you go to 20-yard plus um, receptions, 86 overall grade. He was only targeted 10 times and only caught two of those 10 for 41 yards. Both of them were touchdowns, though. So there is a high touchdown rate when he gets targeted deep, but it just it doesn't happen often, and he very rarely catches those passes. Now, maybe some of that was on Cam not throwing it well. We know that he was real bad with overthrows and whatnot. I don't really know. Um, if we just see our drops on here. Yeah, so he, he did have zero drops on those 20, which means eight, <laughs> eight of those passes were just bad throws, which is terrible. Cam is just yikes. But on the intermediate throws, 27 of 46 for 430 yards, no touchdown. Again, that's where he's going to do most of his work. So again, there's there's no super high ceiling. I think there's a relatively high floor. The the biggest issue, though, is going to be drops and, and trust. You know, if, if, if you're Aaron Rodgers has rapport with the guys that he has, and I know they also have drop issues, but if you're going to go out there and you're going to start dropping balls, it's like, I just, I'm not interested. But if he can just, if he can just hang on, I think he's got a real good shot at being like the, the, the top number two option. Well, it looks like that's about it. I think the, the next question I see here was one that I answered last weekend. So again, tomorrow's going to be up in the air. I, 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 I shouldn't say that because I said I wasn't going to take days off anymore because I don't want pack a day to catch me. <laughs> so I don't know what to do. Um, I guess it's up in the air, but what what could really solidify this is if the uh, patrons can get in and ask some questions if you got them. You know, we've got about uh, 56 guys in here, I think. 56 people. I don't know if there's any ladies in here. I have no idea. So shoot me some questions on the uh, Patreon, whatchamacallit. Otherwise, if we get somebody to join, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy, I'll use that as my excuse to do a show tomorrow. So make it easy on me. Otherwise, you guys have a great Saturday. Be sure to tune into that live stream, and I will talk to you later. Bye-bye.